Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. I've got a message, if you like to write down titles, called Your Work, God's Work. Everyone say that with me. One more time. Your work, God's work. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our time together today to gather, to, to sing, to share our love for you, to fellowship, and now to, to hear from your word. And so I pray today, Lord, I don't know everyone in the room. Um, I don't know what's happening in their world, but you do. And so thank you for the Holy Spirit, who's the great communicator. And I pray that you would speak through me to every person, young and old, here today, that they would be able to leave here having received something to encourage them, challenge them, transform them. In Jesus' name, everyone who's awake, say amen. 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 We're going to go to a a little story in Acts 17. Uh, The Bible was written for our our, um, education, for our inspiration. And in Acts 17, verses 16 to 17, just a little moment, a little vignette in Paul's life. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, amazing city, Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue. Everyone say synagogue. He reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace. Everyone say marketplace. Marketplace. The marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Two very interesting spheres, the synagogue and the marketplace. Uh, The synagogue was where people gathered, people of faith, gathered for worship, gathered for fellowship, gathered to hear teaching and instruction in God's ways. Uh, The synagogue, and then the marketplace is out where life happens uh, from day to day, uh, work and family and neighbors and school and all those kinds of things. So Paul is active. He's not just in the synagogue all week. He's active in the synagogue and he's active in the marketplace. And God is is at work in the synagogue and the marketplace. And so for you and I today, we also have the same. Uh, We gather here on on a Sunday, and this is a time like the synagogue, to to gather for worship and to express our faith in God and to hear teaching. You know, even Jesus had a habit of attending the synagogue every Sabbath. Interesting, isn't it? It says Jesus had a habit of going to the synagogue. He didn't go when Rabbi so-and-so was speaking only. Come on, work with me. He just had a habit. When the weekend came along, how many think if Jesus, you know, kind of went to the synagogue every week, it's probably a good thing for us to do. I know with the pandemic, we've all kind of got out of the habits. Come on, let's be honest. Uh, Pandemic, shutdown, all our habits have been kind of thrown up in the air. Uh, Thank God we've had live stream and online, but it's easy really to kind of just get out of the habit of gathering. And uh, so there's a real benefit. Uh, I don't know about you, but whenever you gather, uh, you're uplifted, you're strengthened, and your faith is enhanced. And so uh, Paul spent some time in the synagogue. And so it's a good thing for us to do too. But he also lived his life in the marketplace. This is where we do work, where we do life. It's estimated that we spend a third of our life working, a third of our life sleeping, and a third of our life with family and friends. Interesting, huh? Uh, Over 50% of our waking hours, for most of us, are spent in the workplace or in the marketplace. And the truth is everyone works. We don't all get paid necessarily, but we all work. We all contribute. We all do things with our life. And so you may be here today as an employee. 
somewhere, or a contract worker. You might be an employer who employs other people. You might be looking for work right now, kind of in between jobs. Or you might be a student. How many of our students work? Of course they do. Study is hard work. Going to class, doing your uh, exams, etc. So students work. Even if you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, how many know that's work? We had three kids kind of under five, and you know, sometimes I get home from my work and say, hey, honey, what'd you do today? And she'd go, just look after your kids all day. How many know that's, a, that's work? It's a different type of work. You may not actually get a paycheck for it, but it's work. <laughs> you know? So if you're a parent, uh, even grandparents work, even retirees. Come on. There's always something to do. So we're all contributing, we're all working, and we spend the bulk of our life, not in the synagogue, but in the marketplace. We don't talk a lot about it in church, and I think it's really important that we talk about this sphere called the marketplace, hence our message today, your work, God's work. Uh, You know, when we think about our work, our job, what we do may change over the years, but that we work is pretty constant for most of our lives. It's estimated today that most people will have five to seven career changes in their lifetime and an average of 10 different jobs. So if you've been in the one job for 30 years, you're kind of a rare breed. Many people change careers, change jobs. Uh, As I look back on my history, I had a bunch of part-time jobs around uh, my last few years of high school and and college and uni. I was a cabinet maker, uh, assisted at a cabinet, well, I swept up a lot of dust shavings. Uh, I worked at a cabinet maker's factory. I I was a builder's renovator assistant for a while. I worked as a book binder. Uh, I was a printer in the printing department for many years. Uh, Worked on a big uh, Wollenberg, German, um, what do you call those things? Uh, there's printing presses, guillotine, yeah, guillotine, cutting all the paper for the printers. Uh, worked on a whole bunch of printing machinery, and then I came on uh, staff at a church, worked in the music worship area, worked with youth, administrators. So, you know, as you can see with me, I've had lots of different jobs and expressions through the years, and I, and I bet you have too. It's interesting, is if you look, through the Bi- look at the Bible through a marketplace lens, you know, sometimes we think all these spiritual men and women that we hear about were kind of just in the synagogue all the time. But did you know Abraham was a herder and a trader? Not Bitcoin, but you know, (laughs) he was trading other stuff. Uh, Deborah was a judge. Joseph, Daniel, and Esther were political officials. David was a king. Nehemiah was an employee in the king's palace. He ended up being an urban planner and developer involved in the economic and civil life of his people. Amos, prophet Amos, was a farmer. Jesus was a you ever, you ever thought much about that? You know, for the first, up to age 30, Jesus was working as a carpenter. wonder what kind of chairs he made. wonder what his workshop looked like. Jesus was a carpenter. Paul was a tent maker. Uh, some people believe he worked in leather. Uh, Peter, James, and John were fishermen. You know, sometimes we forget this lens of... These are normal men and women, not just hanging out in the synagogue worshiping God with a song all day, but but no, they spent their life out in the marketplace. That was part of their work and God's work in their life. And so I want us to reflect on our work. Uh, What is the purpose of our work? Uh, Where is the meaning behind it? Um, what, what, What is work actually all about? 
I think as we begin, it's important for us to realize that the God that you and I worship is a worker. Let's go back to Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3, as we just kind of build a theology of work here. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day. He declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Key, work in that little, key, key word in that little uh, text is the word work. In the beginning, God worked through the work of creation, a work week of uh, seven days or seven periods. Not only did he work, he found delight and satisfaction in his work. At the end of the day, God had made the light. He says, it's been a good day. He didn't say, I haven't done this, haven't done this, haven't done this. No, God had broken this huge creation project down into seven uh, successive sequential days and bite-sized tasks. And he was uh, able to delight and enjoy his work. This, this is actually unique among religions. You know, the Greek gods, uh, if you go back and study them, they didn't work <laughs> um, at all. It was all just pleasure and leisure. And for many Greek philosophers, the goal in life of the elite was to not work. Here, the God of the Bible, right from the beginning, is a God who, who works, who creates, who contributes. And God didn't just work in the work of creation. He's continued to work right through to this day. Look at what Jesus says in John 5, verse 17. John 5, verse 17. Jesus replied, my father is always working. Some of you, that might be your dad. I'm not talking about being a workaholic. But notice what Jesus is saying. My father's always at work. Now, now, we're not promoting workaholism because how many know God also rested from his work? And uh, if we get a part two to this message somewhere in the next few months, we'll, we'll talk about some balance to work. But notice Jesus says, my father is always working and so am I. So, so it's very important for us to realize work is actually something modeled by God himself. God works. God creates. And so when he created us, Genesis 2.15, on to our next verse, the Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. So notice that we were made in the image of God. We were made in God's likeness. We have God's DNA. And just as God's a worker, you and I also were created to, to work and to contribute and to create. We're made in his image. I think sometimes we have this uh, view of the early paradise of Adam and Eve sitting, uh, laying in hammocks, drinking pina coladas, you know, just holiday, life's one big holiday, and then they sinned, and God went, okay, off to work. I thought sometimes we think sin, that, that work is like a punishment, or work is like a result of, well, we did the wrong thing. So, no, 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 no. This is Genesis 2. Genesis 2, there's no sin, there's no brokenness in the world, and God's saying, I want you to look after this garden, I want you to work it and make it something of beauty. And so can you see right away, work has a dignity, 
Work has something sacred about it. Work reflects the nature of God, and so it's part of being human. It's part of God's plan for our world. And we see this cycle of six days of work and then a day of rest. And so we've got work and rest and activity and recovery. But work is part of the very nature of God. And so this should help us to maybe rethink the way we see our job, the way we see our work. Work has dignity because God works. And he delegates his work to us as his representatives. And so God is interested in your work life. Your work and God's work are important to see together. I think, unfortunately today, you ever talk to someone and they say something like this? So what do you do for work? Oh, I have a secular job. You ever heard that phrase? It's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? You've got a secular job. What does that mean? You know, um, we have this kind of dualism where we easily separate the sacred and the secular. And we think the synagogue is sacred and the marketplace is secular. It's a very common view, and it comes out of Greek philosophy. And unfortunately, Greek philosophy influenced even church thinking early on. Anyone heard of St. Jerome? Uh, he lived in the 4th century. Major church father. Let's look at this quote. St. Jerome, 4th century. A merchant can seldom, if ever, please God. How many if you think if you went to St. Jerome's church and you were a merchant, you'd be very encouraged by his sermon that day? <laughs> a merchant can seldom, if ever, please God. He, he, he said that in the 4th century. You're out there doing trading. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's unlikely you'll ever please God. Even St. Augustine. Ever heard of St. Augustine? Look what he said here. St. Augustine, business is in itself evil. All the business people encouraged? <laughs> Pumped, like, yeah. What, what, what's going on here? See, within a few centuries of the time of Jesus and Paul, this dualism has entered that created a sacred space and a secular space. And it's Greek philosophy. Greek, Greek philosophy often sees life as a series of boxes, very segmented. And you've got your box for faith, and you've got your box for family, and your box for work, and your box maybe for recreation. And, and the key is just to tick all the boxes. So you come to church on Sunday, you've ticked your faith, God box. And then you kind of forget that, and you go out and do life, and it's only that box that's sacred. You know, the Hebrew worldview was more of a circle, and God's at the center of the circle, and all of life is sacred. All of life is sacred. In fact, the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, is not just about monotheism. See, back in those days, you'd walk through the field, and there'd be a God of the field, so you'd make a sacrifice to not offend the God of the field. you then come to the river, and then there's another God of the river, so you make another sacrifice to the God of the river. And then you climb the mountain, there's a different God over the mountain, so you make another sacrifice. That's how the ancients lived. There were many gods over different spheres. That statement, Hero Israel, Israel, the Lord our God is one. It's not just about monotheism. It's saying, you know, the God of the fields, the same God of the river, the same God of the mountain, God is involved in all of your life. And so all of life is sacred. The synagogue is sacred, but guess what? The marketplace, God's there too. See, sometimes we use little phrases like, isn't it good to be in God's presence today? It is, but you know, you'll be in God's presence tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. 
Sometimes we say, isn't it good to be in God's house today? And we are God's house. But how many know he doesn't live here and he's not going to be waiting here all week hoping you'll come back and visit him? No, no, no. He'll be at your workplace tomorrow. We've got to change our thinking about our work. Um, some of you are going, well, well, where's this in the Bible? Good question. Let's look at Paul, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of or representing or in the presence of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, anyone know what the word whatever means? It's a pretty big word. Whatever you do, you're sweeping a floor, putting a spreadsheet together, doing a bit of town planning, designing something, whatever you do. It doesn't just say when you're at the synagogue, when you come and you have a church meeting. No, whatever you do, do it all in the name of representing. Can you see all of life is sacred, all of life. God wants to be involved in our daily routines. What does it look like to wake up in the morning and to begin the day in conversation with God and then to see your whole day, whether you're working or driving or shopping or eating, uh, the whole day to do all of life in the presence of God. That's what real discipleship is. That's what real discipleship is, is doing life in the presence of and in connection and partnership with God. Now, I'm not trying to give you an idealized view of work because no doubt Genesis 3, the fall, sin has dramatically affected our world. The curse brought thorns and thistles and we work in the sweat of our brow. And work is not a curse, but work has been affected by the curse. And so uh, work can have its frustrations, its delays, its exhaustions, and sometimes it, it doesn't satisfy. So we're not glorifying work, but we're making sure that we see our work as part of God's work and plan for our life. So what is the purpose of work? Let me give you just a couple of thoughts around your job, your work, what you're doing. Why do we do what we do? Uh, number one, the first purpose of work is to glorify God. To glorify God. Another statement from Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever, another big word, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you're a follower of Jesus today, when you go out to work or to school or you're at home, whatever you do, do it for the glory, for the praise, for the honor of God. See, our great commission isn't just go into the world and reach nations, Greek ethnos, different people groups. When we say go into all the world, that's the Greek word cosmos, which means the social order that exists. And so tomorrow morning, some of you going out into government, some of you going out into sports and recreation, some of you going out into education, some of you are going out. Uh, you see what I'm saying? We're going into all different spheres of the world tomorrow. And as we go out there, what we do can bring glory to God. Matthew 5, let your good works shine. So uh, let your light shine so people might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so as you work, do it to glorify God, to display his character, to attract people to God. You know, many of us are the only Bible someone may ever read. Many of us may be the only connection someone will ever have with someone with a person of faith. And so as we go out and we do our work, do it for the glory of God. 
You know, the story is told of Michelangelo. He was, uh, anyone seen the cistern? Oh, someone was, Sistine, not the cistern. That would be an interesting chapel, wouldn't it? I think that's the wayside chapel. Anyone been to the Sistine Chapel? Unbelievable, isn't it? In Rome there, this beautiful arch ceiling with all of these paintings. Uh, The story is told of Michelangelo. He was up in one of the dark corners, and he was spending days doing this section of the painting. And someone said to him, why are you spending so much time in that dark corner? No one's going to even see that. You know what he said? God will see. God will see. Imagine if every job you did, you did it to the glory of God. If God said, hey, uh, when we're done here, would you just mind vacuuming? Jesus said, would you vacuum the auditorium? What kind of vacuum would you do? Imagine if we did every job to the glory of God. Not to impress people, but for the audience of one, for his praise, for his glory. What a difference our workplaces would be. And so do your work to bring glory to God. Number two, uh, our work has purpose, not just to glorify God, but to serve people. Every job, every business, if you break it down, exists to add value to people. You're either offering a product or a service to meet someone's need or to enhance the quality of their life. You know, I used to, when preaching this message, say, imagine if everyone just quit their job, what the world would look like. Well, we all had about 10 months of that almost, didn't we? Where everything shut down, the cafes and shops. And I mean, what, what a world it is when no one's doing their job. The whole of society kind of screams to a standstill. But you know what? When everyone's offering their service and bringing their product, society functions as a healthy whole. Jesus is our model here. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for all. And so your work is not only to glorify God, but to serve people. We all know that the great commandment is love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. You know you can love your neighbor through your work. And we all know what a joy it is to go somewhere and get some good customer service. Yes? I went to a, a hardware stop the other, shop the other day. I had a few little repairs at home. I had a tap that was dripping. And so I went in and uh, uh, there was a staff member there. said, oh, look, I need to get a replacement for this tap. And he was so helpful. He said, well, actually, you, know, you don't need to buy a whole new tap. Maybe it's just a washer in there. So he took me down the aisle, found me a little washer set. And he not only gave me the washer set, he actually took a tap and he took it apart and showed me how to do it all. I thought, man, what great customer service. Next day, I was back at that shop. I had a a door, a little hook thing that wasn't working. I took a photo of it. I got a different staff member. I said, hey, I'm I'm looking for one of these. I'd never seen one of those. I said, you got anything similar? You been down aisle three? Next. A little bit different. Come on, we we all know what that's like. And so for you and I, as people of faith, our work is to glorify God, but to serve people. To serve people. I wonder what kind of a chair Jesus made. <laughs> I wonder what kind of work he did. And so see your work as a way to love your neighbor, to serve, to add value, to bring a product, to bring a service that will make a difference in their life. Number three, the third purpose of work, as we kind of put a theology of work out today, is to provide meaningful contribution. We all need a sense of contribution, an outlet for our skills and creative energies. 
Uh, Hugh Mackay, a leading Australian sociologist, has a book called What Makes Us Tick, and he's got a whole chapter on how every human has this innate desire to be useful. How many have a life purpose to be useless? No one wants to be useless. We all want to be useful. So right in our DNA is this desire to make a difference, to contribute. And so your job is an opportunity for you to take all your gifts and talents and skills and experience and make a contribution that will make a tangible difference in the life of somebody else. In fact, Paul's so strong in this, he writes to a church in Thessalonica and says, you know, if if you're not working, you shouldn't be eating. Who's been eating this week? We're all eating. What's he saying? We, we all should be contributing. Now, there's times when we may not be able to. Maybe you're sick and you're not well. Or, uh, but, but his point is we all should be contributing and serving and helping. It's part of God's plan for our life. In fact, for, for young people here today, maybe you're thinking about what career you're going to take. It's interesting to think about what is our filter for choosing a career? And often we choose a career maybe because our parents had that, or maybe it's a good high-paying job, or maybe it's a high status in society, or there's a bit of an identity with it. What about asking which job or career would have the greatest benefit to society? What are the greatest needs in our world over the next decade and which jobs would meet those needs? You see, this is a bit of a different paradigm than just... Well, what's the coolest job? What, what, what could be the greatest benefit to society? What would be the best use of your gifts? What are the needs out there? Uh, another question is, what makes you angry? Sometimes what makes you angry is a key to what your contribution is going to be. If you hate boring, maybe your contribution is creativity to bring some color to this world. If you hate disorganization, maybe you've got some administrative gifts to get, it all, get us all organized. You following me? Thank you for that enthusiastic response. <laughs> so work is to glorify God, serve people, and make a contribution. Number four, to generate wealth. I, I can look at some of you, you're saying, where's the money? Where's the money? Here's the money. Fourthly, work is a means to generate wealth. There's a payment in exchange for your product, for your service, for your effort, for your contribution. There's some finance that often comes and profit enables you to meet your needs and your family and hopefully have some resources to give away and to work another day. And so interesting scripture, Deuteronomy 8, 18. Have a look at this. This is the covenant God made with Israel. Remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. Notice it doesn't say he gives you wealth. It would be nice if every morning there was a little envelope at the foot of our bed with 100 bucks for the day, and God said, here's your money for the day. It doesn't say God gives us wealth. He doesn't. He gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's a subtle difference, but it's very important. God gives you time, energy, gifts, talents. He's given you the ability, but you've got to harness them and go and offer service and offer a product in exchange for wealth. In doing so, we grow, we mature. And and that's why God also in the Bible is so much against get-rich-quick schemes. You know, and unfortunately, we're one of the leading gambling nations in the world. 
Um, of course, you know, winning Pat Slotto is pretty unlikely. I reckon the, the stats are about one in seven million, your chances to win the jackpot, which is, you're probably more likely to be hit by lightning than to win the jackpot. So the, the, the ratios aren't real good, but one of the reasons uh, we're discouraged to avoid gambling or a, a get-rich-quick scheme is when you work to produce money, you develop the character and maturity to handle that money really well. You look at the studies, people that win Tatslotto, you know, within a number of years, they're often back to where they were. So if you get a whole bunch of money at once and you haven't grown in character and maturity, you often can't handle those resources. Thank you, Mark. Really good preaching today. Thank you. We're really appreciating this. I'm just encouraging myself a little bit this morning. So... <laughs> So this is God's purpose for our work, your work, God's work. We work to glorify God. We work to serve people. We work to make a contribution with our lives. And in the process, uh, often there's some wealth. There's some return to us. And so your work and God work, God's work are intimately connected. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.